Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. New Englanders know in winter you make plans to vacation somewhere warmer. Several years ago, we booked a direct flight to San Juan from Bradley Airport in January, and it was the best thing my husband and I did that winter. But that was before COVID. Now traveling during an Omicron surge seems like a hassle. And how risky is it? Today, we talk about the future of travel, and I want to hear about all your travel plans. Have you returned to flying? What was it like? Or maybe you're making plans for a long road trip instead. Anyone riding Amtrak cross-country? We want to hear from you. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Eileen tweeted, just back from Christmas in London, and the testing protocol was stress. Thankfully, tested negative both times. So, Eileen, good to hear that. And you can join us again at number 888-720-9677. Coming up, we'll also talk about the rise in popularity for RVs and campers, but there's also van life. Have you heard of it? Maybe you're listening right now in your converted van. You can join us, too, that conversation later. Joining us first on Zoom is Elizabeth Goodrich, Deputy Travel Editor at The New York Times. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get your advice and tips, I have to ask any uh, fun travel plans coming up. Can you tell us about them? Well, actually, I'm in Colorado right now to go skiing. (laughs) Nice. So what was that like uh, getting to Colorado? You know what? Um, There's a reason why we should wear masks. The the pandemic is really still going on. It's been raging. What we saw over the last couple of weeks with holiday travel and this new variant um, is very worrisome. So being uh, careful when you travel, um, understanding your risk factors and understanding um, wh- what you're really getting out of your vacation. But we got here, the airports were um, not too crowded and uh, we both feel safe. Uh, when you were planning uh, your Colorado trip, did it feel like before or were you just double checking, um, you know, the, again, the protocols with masking and also what would happen if you had to quarantine? That's a great question. And yeah, we're not going back to before anytime soon. Lots of research on if there's any sort of um, things in Colorado we need to know about, but particularly masking, what kind of masks, getting to the airport early just to be on the safe side. So travel does have a lot more steps now. You mentioned we're not going back to before. So I, even before the pandemic, people would complain about um, having sometimes to travel by plane. Uh, the rates were going up. But comfort was not really the priority of airlines. And so now we've got this other layer that we have to worry about. Uh, so I'm just wondering if you can uh, talk through, you know, how the airline industry has had to change. Uh, just looking at the, the nightmare over the holiday with so many flight cancellations because of Omicron. 
Sure. So the airline industry was bailed out by the federal government due to the pandemic. I think they received more than $50 billion. And when travel really picked up again, it picked up like a roller coaster. It just exploded, maybe wrong analogy. Um, and the airlines had um, a lot of staffing problems, as well as there's just a major labor shortage right now. So a lot of that we saw over the holidays. Not only did they have a lot of cancellations because they had a lot of um, uh, a sick crew, they also had to deal with a lot of storms. So that's what we saw with the holiday period, kind of a one-two blow on the airlines. They're trying very hard to keep their passengers safe because they really want to keep flying. And when we think about uh, staying safe, they rely on a lot of crews who also need to worry about their health and which led to, to shortages and cancellations. So what are you hearing from people that work in the travel industry, Elizabeth? Um, it really depends. Travel agents are more busy than they've ever been before. Flight crew members, uh, stewardesses, they're having a hard time. What you were saying before, there's one whole extra layer. And I believe a flight leaving from Miami um, in the past 24 hours had to turn around because a passenger wasn't wearing their mask properly. So that's one more thing that these um, the, the, the passengers have to have to wear for everyone's safety and the crew members have to make sure people are adhering to. We've seen the headlines, sometimes the viral videos of people who have not been following the rules, so to speak, rage on planes, anger towards uh, airline crews. And so, you know, when we think about uh, the traveling and sometimes the hassle of it, you know, I think that adds a, la a layer of stress, right? Oh, it certainly does. And a lot of people have made the decision to not fly or to not take big trips. And that's okay. We want you to feel comfortable. Everyone should be comfortable. As you were saying, the last thing anyone wants to have is anxiety on a trip. Um, and they don't want their trip ruined. So there are different vacations out there. And this was one of the trends that we saw last year, something called small travel, Connecticut. Maybe you live in West Hartford. Instead of going to Puerto Rico, maybe you go to Essex. Maybe you cross the border and go to Sturbridge Village. There's lots of wonderful places near where you live. It's just a different mindset that you should have. You should say, I'm going on vacation and really try to get away, even if you're just five minutes away. We'd love to hear from you as we all look to uh, warmer weather ahead. Uh, maybe some of you are getting out of uh, Connecticut during the winter. We'd love to hear how you've been planning, uh, what you're looking forward to, maybe some of the, the extra precautions that must be taken. You know, How are you navigating all of that? Our number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, I liked hearing you talk about how more people were thinking about uh, staying local or maybe staying regional. Uh, but now that we're in, uh, we're ending the West now, almost the, the second year since the lockdown, Elizabeth, do you find more people are more comfortable with flying again, with taking, uh, you know, this next step of trying to, to enjoy life again, when a lot of, there has been a lot of uh, stress and anxiety? Yeah, you know, we saw a huge explosion um, among the older population because they received a vaccination first. And they said, dropping everything, I'm seeing my grandchildren, or I'm going back to Miami because I need some warm weather. So we're seeing we're seeing that a lot. We're also seeing, as you probably imagine, a lot of virus malaise. They're just, people are just so fatigued and they want to get away. And you know what? What you can do is you can travel. You just need to figure out your health conditions and other risk factors that may or may not increase the chances of you getting sick. 
Um, you also should probably consider whether or not you could bring the virus to wherever you're going. Um, what are the case counts there? So there's lots. I cautiously recommend travel if you really just look at all the different risks that may affect you or may affect your family. You've got to remember that the tourism industry brought at least 10% of the world's um, GDP. So 300 million, um, 300 million people are employed by the tourism industry worldwide. So there's children that need to eat. There's people who need who rely on, on travelers for their livelihood. And that's another reason to think about maybe I should travel. You're hearing Elizabeth Goodrich here on Where We Live, Deputy Travel Editor at the New York Times. Uh, we were talking about, you know, the, the travel industry that a lot of people rely on uh, the the income that comes out of this uh, worldwide. And so I know that the New York Times just put out a, a list of, of places to visit, but thinking about more uh, sustainable uh, vacations. Can you talk about that? I think it's 52 places for a changed world. Yeah, thank you for asking about that. So each year, the New York Times Travel Department puts out an annual list of the most exciting places to go. And in the before times, we would look at museum openings, new restaurants, perhaps anniversaries of historical events that local areas are commemorating. We really felt like we couldn't do that anymore. One, the pandemic has altered travel. Also, climate change is really on the forefront, and travelers really need to be aware about that. So those two big things were what we thought about as we crafted this new list. And what we did is we provided 52 places where travelers can really help. So helping with shark conservation um, in the Caribbean, pulling up invasive buffalo grass in a desert in Arizona. So where can you go to really help people, to help the environment, um, to really try to make this your own um, help to change this world? That's interesting when you talk about, you know, how to help the environment, because there was a lot of emphasis on the travel industry being responsible for 8 to 11 percent of total greenhouse gas emissions. So thinking about um, people who want to fly again, um, you know, not only the consequences of that, but where you're going, the impact, that, the footprint that you uh, will be leaving uh, when you go to these exotic locations, Elizabeth. So that is something I think every traveler should be considering right now. It's true. It's a um, the travel industry, I think it's 8 to 11% um, contributes to the world's greenhouse gases. And we, um, as I mentioned earlier, you don't have to travel in the same way. You can also just travel smartly by co- uh, carbon offsets. Um, but thinking about the climate, especially this past year where we saw floods in Canada, horrible, horrible fires in California, what can you as a person do to help our environment for our future generations should be at the forefront of your mind. Can you share some of those places? The photography uh, was just beautiful on on the website, Elizabeth. I'm I'm so glad to hear that. And um, everyone, it's available on NewYorkTimes.com slash travel if you haven't seen it already. And we do really want to, because um, travel is very emotional and, and we really want a glorious imagery to put people there. So we have places from... Um, uh, close by, um, you've got your Queens, New York, which is all about food. And this uh, area of New York City was also really hard hit by the pandemic. So we put that on the list to really help communities there um, kickstart their businesses. We also had places like Santa Cruz County. Again, like they had horrible fires out there, but they're putting in new bike lanes. 
and new walking trails for people to really enjoy as these forests regrow. Um, so we've gone really all over the place and really tried to focus on um, carbon friendly travel, like new bike lanes in France um, and, and lots of other hikes and so on. I think part of uh, the, the list was a place in Newfoundland, a traditional fishing community that turns to tourism to find a new life. Can you talk about that place? Sure. So we're seeing a lot of um, places that are really having to adjust their industries. Perhaps their commercial fishing uh, has 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 fallen apart, and so they're looking to different ways to maintain their um, their villages and and their income. And that's one of the places where they're saying. Um, Newfoundland can be a place where it's just so different and the hospitality is, is there. So go and enjoy a brand new environment with different food and different sites. Again, you can join us as you uh, think about traveling again in 2022, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, something that uh, many of us um, really appreciated uh, in this uh, last two years. Uh, one of the bright spots was, uh, you know, traveling more uh, to local state parks or maybe people were going on road trips uh, out west. Uh, and so can you talk about that, that resurgence in the national park system, Elizabeth? Sure. And I think that's a trend we're never, uh, is, is ever going to go away. I think people are going to realize there's just glorious, glorious things to do and see in their own backyard. So state parks were big, national parks were big. And of course, not only are they beautiful, but they are an ideal place to socially distance. So we're going to see that trend along with small travel, people just getting away, but not too far. Um, a love of the great outdoors. Um, those two trends are really big. We'll also see uh, trends of people getting away with their loved ones, um, multifamily vacations, renting a huge house, the Airbnb, and just kind of plopping themselves down at the beach or a lake. So we'll see a lot of that in terms of community. And again, that gets back to helping with the environment. If you drive and you stay in one place, um, you have less of an impact. Coming up, we're going to be learning more about van life. Uh, we heard about the rise in RVs and campers, but a lot of people are thinking about where they could uh, live and work. It doesn't have to be in one place. They can travel while doing it all. Again, that's coming up here on Where We Live. You can join us, 888-720-9677, as we talk about the future of travel. Uh, Bill is calling in from Berlin. Bill, go ahead. You're on the show. Hi, Lucy. Uh, yeah, um, uh, my uh, family and I went on a trip um, uh, uh, outside the U.S. last uh, summer in July when the uh, COVID rates were super low, I think the lowest they were in the last 22 months. And the airline selectively decided to enforce a rule on mask wearing for two-year-old children for us. Um, the airline itself didn't have a policy, and the country they were from didn't have a policy that kids under six needed masks. Um, they gave us boarding passes and had us pass through TSA, crowded TSA checkpoint, and had us hang out at the gate. And then when we were at the gate, they decided that we couldn't board because of CDC rules. Um, we tried to rebook, um, but nothing was available. So we ended up paying four times as much for the flight um, that we flew on the same airline from a different gateway city. Nobody said anything about masks on the second mm -hmm. flight. Well, that sounds pretty stressful. So this was, uh, you were booted because your, your, your toddler was not wearing their mask properly. Is that, is that what the issue was? That's right. Yeah. 
and then you ended up having to pay four times as much. Elizabeth, this sounds like a nightmare and something that a lot of people are worried about where they have their plans set and then, as Bill said, some selective enforcement depending on um, the location of where they were flying out of. How do you respond to that story? Um, I'm, that must have been so aggravating, especially if it was your first trip in a very long time. Um, airlines and passengers this is a brand new world and that was selective. I've, I haven't heard that before. Um, and I, I do think that, you know, this is a brand new world in terms of figuring out what are the rules, what are the testing requirements, what are the vaccine rates, what are, what are the kind of the, what would happen if you test positive overseas, all of these things and all these questions need to be thought out before you go. But that, that sounds like it was a very frustrating experience for you and your family. Let's talk about when things don't go as planned, uh, uh, when we're thinking about traveling abroad and, you know, again, uh, not being positive for COVID. And then the concern that when you're needing to fly back and making sure that you're still uh, not positive for COVID, what happens then? And the idea of having to quarantine in a foreign place, Elizabeth. Well, what we recommend is everyone uh, plan just in case. If you do test positive, what would you do? What are the what are the rules that the government has of that country that you're visiting? Would you have to quarantine in a special hotel or could you quarantine in the hotel that you're staying in? Do you have anything back home? I mean, one expert I read somewhere, don't plan to go away the weekend before your daughter's wedding. So again, as we were saying, Lucy, there's so many more layers to travel. It's still worth it, but considering whether all of these different layers, some people might say, you know what, I'm going to hold off on one more trip. I'm going to hold off for one more year. And we know in this country, unlike uh, many places abroad, uh, our vacation time is not as generous. And so the idea that you're taking a week or two uh, to be with family and to have fun, and then if you're stuck quarantining, you still got to get back uh, to work and life, and you may not have as many days left, Elizabeth. Has that been something that, you've heard from that's, people? That's exactly, that's exactly right. So say you have to be at work and you can't test negative after waiting in in. in another country. So that's where we see also a trend. I think domestic travel exploded last year. That was no doubt. But we'll see domestic travel also be very, very popular because people may not want to go and just deal with all these stresses. Uh, before I take another call, uh, to Bill's point, too, with uh, selective reinforcement of CDC uh, guidance, you know, you know, will we get to a place where no matter where you're traveling that, um, you know, they're going to stick to a, a set of rules or is this going to be constantly changing and we just got to be nimble about it? Everything's going to be constantly changing. So we maintain a list of what are the rules and regulations, some of the most popular international destinations for U.S. travelers. And we have been updating that thing every single week during the pandemic. A lot of countries say Ireland, I believe, uh, don't quote me on it, but I think it's Ireland, uh, no longer tests. So these, what vaccines, what tests, how much time, be prepared before you go and check constantly before your flight because those rules may change. Today, we're talking about the future of travel. We'd love to hear from you as you think about plans you're making for yourself, your family, whether it's uh, regionally or you're thinking about making that leap to fly again to go somewhere uh, warm and exotic. Uh, Grace is calling in from Milford. Grace, what did you want to share? Uh, good morning. I would like to add to, to your conversation uh, that I 
loved uh, your guest's idea of traveling local. And since uh, um, I live in New England, I would like to recommend traveling by joining the uh, historic New England organization. Not only that they have properties and um, uh, beautiful historic houses in uh, states like Mil- uh, like um, Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Maine, New Hampshire, but they also organize wonderful lectures, seminars. So not only you can visit the properties, but uh, you can always learn new things. It doesn't have to be a long trip. This is perfect for weekend trips or day trips, but also you help a wonderful organization. They, they are houses and properties always require maintenance, repairs. So for a small fee, you will become a part of something great. And you can do it um, on, you know, you, on a small budget. And the places are wonderful. So instead of going to to Ireland or um, uh, France, Italy, to little villages. You have the most beautiful places in New England, and uh, you can learn a lot. I guarantee it. Well, thank you, Grace. That's a a great idea. That's historicnewengland.org. We often talk about Connecticut Landmarks, which is another uh, nonprofit uh, looking to restore and maintain beautiful historic uh, homes in our state. A lot of those uh, homes uh, have beautiful gardens, and it is a a great place uh, uh, to check out, especially in the warmer months. So, Grace, thank you for for that tip. Uh, um, Elizabeth, before we head to break, you know, we've been talking a lot about about um, air travel, uh, but I'm wondering if, as we th- think more about people just taking more road trips, or are we seeing, how's Amtrak doing these days? Are, are more people looking to go cross country that way? Sure, sure. Um, right before uh, I get into this, I do want to clarify something. So Ireland did drop its testing requirement, but for vaccinated folks. So again, make sure if you're traveling, the rules for your six-year-old child may be very different from the rules where you are. So getting out in the great outdoors, Amtrak, what we are seeing is massive, massive demand for cars. We're seeing massive demand for um, uh, camper vans. And again, it gets back to the simplicity of trying to, you know, um, do it on your own as well as, but that, that leads to a lot of traffic, parking issues, but we're seeing people really wanted to get out and get out on their own. Well, Elizabeth Goodrich, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, It's been a pleasure to hear from you, and what a great list. We're going to share that out, about 52 uh, places uh, for a changed world. Uh, This is a a feature from the the travel section of the New York Times. Elizabeth is a deputy travel editor there. Thank you, and hope you have a, a good time in Colorado. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. The last two years have led some Americans to decide they don't want to be tied down to one location. They can live and work anywhere. Up next, we talk about van life. Are you one of them? You can join us, 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Not much time today. 
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Today we're talking about the future of travel. Steve shared on Facebook, we made our annual trek to Jamaica in March 2021. There were very few tourists there. This winter, I think folks have realized that we're going to have to live with the pandemic rather than wait for it to be over. So get your shots, wear your mask, and get to the warmth and live outside. That's our plan. Steve says we've booked again for this March. Well, Steve, we hope you have a great time. Thanks for sharing that you can join as well. We'd love to hear your travel plans and how you've adjusted. 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Now the pandemic and the pivot to remote remote work has led to some Americans being able to work anywhere. So why be tied down to one spot? My next guest founded a company that tells people you could live anywhere and he helps them do that in a converted van. I'm talking about vans with beds, a small kitchen and a view. I've seen some of these vans at a local state park where we camp at often with Connecticut plates. So I know van life is something being embraced in our state as well. Joining us now on Zoom is Ryan O'Connor. He's the owner of Live a Little Vans in Prospect, Connecticut. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So you're one of these people who started a new business in the pandemic. So before we get to uh, Live a Little Vans, uh, what were you doing uh, before March 2020? So I had kind of come across van life um, a few years prior and had the dream of taking an extended trip. And so we were actually on the road from August of 2019 and returned early March of 2020 Uh kind of right at the start of COVID, and that's kind of what led me to where we are today. So describe van life for listeners who may be hearing about this for the first time. You said that uh, you did this before the pandemic, and so how did you prepare for it? What did you have to do? Yeah, I had, you know, kind of just seen inklings of it, um, just the idea of being able to travel freely, uh, have the basics of what you need with you, and what I had to do was uh, kind of plan out a career change. Um, about a year in advance, I had anticipated uh, making a bit of a move. And the only way I would ever get uh, an extended amount of time off like this was kind of between jobs. So it was about a year of planning. Um, most of that year spent building a van in my driveway and then uh, actually left my job with the plans to travel for six months and then come back and and get right back into what I was doing. Um, but we had other plans after that. 
I love that you said you're building your van in the driveway. And so how did you know what you were doing? Were there like YouTube videos? Are you just someone who's been handy their whole entire life? Um, bit of both. Um, you know, I had always been handy and done a little bit of work on cars and a little bit of like home remodeling type projects. Um, I enjoy projects and learning new skills and then back that up with a lot of uh, YouTube videos and other great websites online that really do help people kind of walk through this process. So just a collection of knowledge and, you know, a lot of hours and a lot of trial and error. So you're, I remember, I'm a child of the 80s, so I remember people used to have vans, and then the minivan was uh, created, and you don't see very many vans, uh, just regular vans uh, on the road, but now you're seeing these, are they sprinter vans? Can you describe the, uh, the vans that you're using as you're converting for people who, who want to do what you did? Yeah, so we have now larger, what are called cargo vans, and they're mainly designed for commercial use. Um, lots of what you'll see Amazon delivering with them, um, but they provide a high roof where you can walk around on the inside, lots of interior space. So, you know, I think the past vans, minivans, uh, just didn't have adequate space, but today we work on the Mercedes Sprinter van, uh, the Ford Transit van and the Ram ProMaster van. They're all kind of similar shape and size. You're hearing on the show Ryan O'Connor. He's owner of Live a Little Vans in Prospect, Connecticut. He started this business in the pandemic, converting vans so people can pretty much travel whenever they want. They can even work out of their vans. Uh, again, you can join us if you're part of the van life community or if this is something that you've been thinking about, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. And so you converted your van, and then you came back and you opened up this shop. So how's the business been doing? And who are the people that are reaching out to you uh, to get help converting a van for their use? Yeah, so business uh, has been good. I think that uh, fortunately, the pandemic kind of helped us in that way. Um, when I returned from our trip, I sold the van that we had traveled in. And at the time, I was looking for a new job and realized that you know, as the pandemic got started, that it was going to be a month or two until we could figure out what was going on. So I purchased another van, built it, and then advertised that for sale and had more than one person interested in buying it. So that's kind of what led to me telling these other folks that, hey, I only have one van, but I'll build you one. Um, and so that's kind of what got the business going. And then at the same time, I started to get a lot of uh, inquiries from folks who either could now work remotely or had interest in traveling, but not in the conventional sense. And that really kind of gave us a jump start uh, early in 2020. So if someone's listening now and decides this is it, I'm going to, I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to live out of my van and travel and, and work wherever I want. You know, how many months should they plan that this will take before they can get out on the road, Ryan? Yeah, it definitely takes some planning. Um, you know, every case is different, um, but it's vans are hard to come by right now. I think general vehicle supply chain is rough. Um, and then we've got quite a backlog. Uh, so I would say six to 12 months in advance, you'd want to start planning, um, getting in conversation. And even if you were to tackle this project yourself, um, we offer services to help people who are interested in doing most of the build themselves, but we'll tackle some of the more 
intimidating or difficult things like cutting in windows or building an electrical system that'll work for them off grid. Uh, can you describe a typical van that you have built? So there's a place to sleep, there might be a small kitchen, and, and what about a bathroom, Ryan, or is that a go to public spots? Uh, yeah, so the bathroom is kind of a luxury, but it is possible. Um, and quite a few of the builds we're doing now include that. And so we'll do a full hot water shower, something that you can stand up in. Um, and then there's options for toilets as well. So I think even pre-pandemic to now, um, access to public spaces might be a little bit more limited. So you need to be a little bit more self-reliant in the van. And so we've kind of adapted to be able to do that. But a typical van is going to have uh, some sort of sleeping accommodation, uh, cooking as well, refrigerator, freezer. That could be uh, just an induction cooktop that runs on electricity, or it could be a full propane stove and oven. And lots of workspaces now. Um, and like I said, bathrooms and Well, it sounds really interesting, but what's what does it typically cost, Ryan? I gotta ask. Yeah, you know, a lot of variation goes into that. Um, but an average build probably comes out around sixty thousand or and up from there, depending on options. Wow. <laughs> so a bit of an investment, but if somebody forgoes uh, renting an apartment, I guess that there's a way to, to budget for that, Ryan? Yeah, it's certainly an investment, um, but it does. It limits, you know, for many people, this is their only vehicle. Um, it also frees them up from having to pay a rent or mortgage. Um, and they're, they're really holding their value right now. I think that the van market's been strong for the last two years and seems to continue to, to look like it will head that direction. Ryan O'Connor, again, is owner of Live a Little Vans in Prospect. If you want to get an idea of what these converted vans look like, we'll tweet out a link uh, to his website, uh, at where we live. Uh, today, as we talk about the future of travel, we're learning about van lifers, people who convert fan vans to live and potentially work from any location. Uh, joining us now on the phone uh, are two van lifers, Isaac Quam and Maria Thompson. Uh, they're full-time van lifers, and currently they're in Colorado. Maria and Isaac, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> so, Maria, I mentioned you're in Colorado. So uh, give us a taste. Describe where you are exactly uh, in your van. What's the view? Uh, yes, we are currently in Fruta, Colorado. We're on, some bu we're on Bureau of Land Management uh, public land right now. And our view is we're looking at some red rock canyons. There is a couple inches of snow on everything with the red rocks. It's quite beautiful. It sounds really nice. And so let's back up a little. I'm wondering, you know, when you and Isaac decided that you were going to become full-time van lifers, you know, how far back uh, did this dream go? And, you know, was it challenging to, to start? Yes. Um, our journey goes back to, well, began in 2016 when we first came across the idea of van life and people living in vehicles full-time while traveling, sometimes working and sometimes not. Um, we're from Minnesota and we loved car camping on the weekends when we were working in the Twin Cities. And we, I came across this and I said, Isaac, I think we can, we can do this. I think this is, this is available to us. How do we start moving in this direction? Um, so then we spent, uh, it ended up being around two years. We spent saving up for this, planning on it, building up a, what we called a runway for living in a van full time and starting to change our life 
to make this possible for us. So Isaac, be honest, when Maria brought this idea up, uh, what did you think? I was actually really excited because um, (laughs) I had followed a few uh, people that kind of like hiking and rock climbing and things in public land um, that lived in their vehicles. So I kind of already knew about it, but it wasn't, I didn't know it was so glamorous in some ways um, that you could build basically a miniature RV within your van. A lot of the people I had followed, it looked a lot more bare bones. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was really excited that she was up for it. And then we kind of started the process of building a van that worked well for us. We joke that if Isaac had brought it up with me, I might have been like, no way, that sounds kind of crazy. (laughs) But I found it and I went to Isaac and he was like, oh, I kind of already know about this. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And so, Isaac, you mentioned like a mini RV. And I'm wondering, you know, why not uh, do an RV or a camper? What is it about the van that appealed to you? That's actually a good question. We ask ourselves that uh, sometimes. When we were when we were building out in our, in our driveway, similar to Ryan's story, we were often wondering why we didn't do a why we didn't do an RV. Um, but the nice thing is you can really customize it to whatever your needs are. Um, really, everything about it you can make it exactly how you want it. Um, it's also nice it has a small uh, smaller footprint, so we can just fit in the normal car space, which makes it really easy for us to travel both in rural areas and in cities, we can really go wherever a normal car is. And that's a huge benefit for a van as well. Right. Uh, Full disclosure, my husband and I, we bought a a small camper in the height of the pandemic, which our children loved. But I don't feel comfortable, you know, hauling this camper. You know, my husband drives. And there's also the question of, you know, some of the – uh, the way to to work some of the equipment, and of course the whole bathroom question. <laughs> so Isaac, I got to ask, how do you handle that? <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. Um, th- that's the, one of the nicer things about the van is it is kind of faster and easier to do everything um, on the road compared to an RV. For the bathroom situation, we do actually have a composting toilet, which sounds odd, but they're actually pretty. They're used a lot in the van life community. They're a little less maintenance than your typical RV bathroom with black tanks and gray tanks and everything. Um, so it's easier to maintain. It's pretty small as well. Again, we're talking about van life. Uh, with us on the phone right now, Isaac Quam and Maria Thompson, they're full-time van lifers. They converted a van and they live and work out of this van. They're able to travel uh, wherever they'd uh, like. And right now they're in Colorado. So Maria, talk about um, what it's like uh, to also launch a business during this time and you know your typical day uh, working, but also you know being able to enjoy the outdoors. Yes, certainly. We are business owners. We own a outdoor lifestyle apparel brand called Seek More Wilderness, and we donate 50% to public lands. Our business um, started in 2016. At that time, when we were dreaming of van life, we weren't sure how we were going to make that work for us on the road. We had long-term goals. Some people do it for a year, um, and then that's what they plan on saving up for, and then they go back. We wanted to do this indefinitely. So we needed income. And at that time, remote work wasn't quite as prevalent, obviously, before the pandemic. So we thought our only means was to, not our only, but we thought we would start a business that um, really welded well with our lifestyle of being on the road, living in public land, something that can give back to those areas. Um, And so working on the road, it's been challenging. Our biggest challenge is Wi-Fi, of course, and finding good service. Um, And we think that's only going to get 
better as remote work becomes more and more the norm and as Wi-Fi becomes kind of a necessary for everybody's life as it maybe becomes um, universal for people. Mm -hmm. So we're very excited about that. Our typical work day is very typical to an office where we try to stick to regular hours. Sometimes van life can be very unpredictable, so we have to stay flexible. But we do try to stick to a routine for work hours, Monday through Friday, um, 8 to 5. And then we try to, we do try to cut off at the evening. Sometimes it, if you're in your van and you're traveling, sometimes it's easy to just continue working for a long time into the night when you're in a new place and you're unsure of your, where you're, of your surroundings. We're going to continue talking about van life after the break. Do you have a question? Maybe you're thinking about converting a van to travel, maybe to work anywhere you'd like. It doesn't have to be uh, in one location. We'd love to hear from you, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We'll be back after a short break. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. We're talking about van life today, the ability to travel and work in a converted van. At the height of the pandemic, the New York Times reported dozens of new companies popped up to rent or sell retrofitted sleeper vans, some now with year-long wait lists. One of my guests owns a company that does just that, Ryan O'Connor, a based in Prospect, Connecticut, owner of Live a Little Vans. And we've also been speaking with Isaac Quam and Maria Thompson, who are full-time van lifers currently in Colorado. You can join us with a question or comment, 888 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Isaac, Maria said something before the break about how uh, van life uh, might become more of the norm. But what are some challenges to that? I can't imagine all places are, are, are welcoming, uh, obviously seeking out public land to park at times. But have you seen any backlash or places that weren't uh, welcoming to van lifers? Yes, that's certainly been a thing on the road. Um, we've really noticed that it's gotten a lot more popular over the years, especially during the pandemic. And with that popularity has come some kind of reluctance um, from different areas for hosting van life, um, van lifers. Um, some of the spots where we used to be able to overnight camp in certain cities, um, when we've pulled up in recent years now, there'll be signs that say no overnight parking and things like that. So it has been a little bit harder to find places um, to kind of exist as a van lifer as it's become more popular. Mm -hmm. oh, Ryan O'Connor is still with us, uh, who helps uh, convert vans, builds uh, vans for people who are interested in, in van life. I'm wondering, Ryan, you know, how do you feel about this as it becomes more popular? What are you hearing from some of, of your customers who, who've launched this, uh, this life? Yeah, you know, our customer base is pretty diverse. You know, we've got some younger folks that this is their uh, their plan to travel and to live out of the van, as well as folks who are nearing retirement age and see this as a good alternative to a traditional RV. So even how they use the van, um, you know, many people head west where there's more access to free camping, things like BLM land, and others are happy to bounce from campground to campground. And it's, it is what you make of it, and you can kind of adapt it to whatever lifestyle 
uh, and interest you have. Uh, Ryan, you and I are in Connecticut right now, and it is uh, colder, frigid weather uh, in the forecast over the next uh, two weeks. And so what happens when someone uh, is a full-time van uh, lifer? Uh, are they avoiding uh, this type of climate? Uh, or I'm just curious, you know, how are they um, retrofitting these vans so that they can handle the cold? Yeah, you know, what's great is what we do is we customize them. So some folks love to head south and we're going to put in an air conditioner to keep them cool when the weather gets hot and other folks are headed north and they want to hit the ski slopes and we're going to put in heat and insulation and, you know, storage for skis that allow them to do that. So they're built for four seasons um, and you can take it where you want to. Uh, Maria Thompson is still with us uh, uh, when we're talking about, um, you know, more and more people uh, doing this. And um, I'm just thinking, you know, these vans are, are pretty small. <laughs> you have to really like your companion, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, certainly. They are quite small. We um, When we first started, we had about, what do we, I think two to three months of kind of a, a honeymoon phase for us where we were just blissfully, we had made it work after two years of planning and um, after that, it got it got a little bit harder for us, but we we worked through it, and um, it's important to uh, it's important to know going into van life that it is a small space. Um, you will want tools, and you want to have ways that you can give each other space, and know that going into it that it, space is super important. It is easy for you both to kind of get cooped up in your van, so taking time apart is a major priority for us. Mm. And when we think about van life, you know, there's always been this negative connotation, you know, this idea of living out of a car. And unfortunately, that is the reality for, for some who are homeless. Uh, but this idea of, of making the choice to do it and having the means or the ability to retrofit a van. I'm just wondering if you can talk about that, Maria. Yes, definitely. We have, um, we think the distinction is super important in the nomad community, van life, anyone that's living out of a vehicle, that um, it's not homeless, it is houseless. And we think that's a super important distinction between what we are doing. Um, I think that people like to maybe make the joke about being homeless. We don't think that that's an accurate representation. Um, this is a choice that we are making, and we don't want it to be portrayed in a way that is not the same for someone else who does not have that choice. Right. Uh, Ryan O'Connor, we just have a couple of minutes left. So when we think about, um, you know, more people uh, getting exposed to this and interested in it, you know, what are some, you know, I guess, last minute uh, tips or things people should consider before thinking about uh, converting a van? Sure. I think it's um, what I tell customers is start early, make your list of your, your needs, your wants, and just kind of keep going back through that and refining it. I know that when we traveled on the road, and I'm sure Marie and Isaac would say the same, you think you need so many things. And then what you find is that when you simplify it down, you really don't need as much as you think you do. Uh, we sent back a whole suitcase of items that we just didn't use while we were on the road. Um, so make your list, be real specific about, and kind of honest with yourself about what you're going to need. And then plan it out, um, you know, as best you can, just so that you're prepared. But I think one of the, the positives about van life is that it allows you some spontaneity and some adventures. So don't be rigid in your plans. You know, be prepared, but allow yourself to 
move with the weather or if you hear about a great spot or an area you want to visit, something you want to do, and just take time for yourself if you need to. So um, it's an adjustment. But I, what we found is that a couple of weeks on the road, you find yourself kind of falling into a new groove, reevaluating what's most important and what makes you happy. And, and it's a good learning experience. And then Isaac, we have just about a minute left, but you know, what's one of the um, most memorable moments of you and Maria being out there in your, in your van? Can you share that with us? Yeah, I think um, some of my favorite moments have just been all the different national parks that we've been able to visit for extended periods of time. Um, when we were, Maria talked earlier about when we were kind of in our honeymoon phase, when we were in bliss for the first few months we were doing it, uh, we got to stop in Rocky Mountain National Park during the elk rut of fall, and the leaves were changing, and there were so many animals. We got to do so many wonderful hikes and have so many long experiences. Um, during our few weeks there that we never would have been able to have if we were just visiting for a few days at a hotel. Mm. Well, that sounds really lovely. Thank you so much for spending time with us uh, here in Connecticut. Isaac Quam and Maria Thompson, full-time van lifers, joining us by phone from Colorado. Good luck to you both. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lucy. Thank you. And also thanks to Ryan O'Connor, who is owner of Live a Little Vans. That's in Prospect, Connecticut. Ryan, uh, good luck to you as well in your new business. Great. Thanks for having me on. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. You can listen to Where We Live anytime. Just download us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. <laughs>